I want to share something with you this morning that you may find kind of odd when I say it, uh, but stay with me because I think I'm going to make sense of it for you. But um, it start, I'm going to start out by saying this. I want you to know that for most of my life, um, the culture in which we live, I think it's fair that we could call the, our culture, the American culture, uh, a, a Christian nation or a Christian culture. But probably for the last 10, 20, maybe even 30 years, that's been changing. Um, and I would just go so far as describe our culture now as post-Christian. Meaning, um, it's, we can't presume that most people in America today would consider themselves Christian. Um, I didn't grow, I, it's kind of become kind of a joke uh, that I've shared so many times that I didn't grow up going to church. And even though I didn't grow up going to church and I had really no idea what it meant to be a Christian, if somebody would have asked me when I was a kid if I was a Christian, I would have said, well, of course I'm a, I'm a Christian. That is the essence of cultural Christianity. People, because of the home that they grew up in or because of the country that they're blessed with, they, you, that's cultural Christianity. But listen to what I'm about to say to you. Cultural Christianity is not the same thing as Christianity. That's why I say to you that I can say to you that I actually think it's a good thing that we are now in a post-Christian culture. I say that to some people and they say, yeah, I, I miss the good old days. I don't miss the good old days when everybody thought that they were a Christian because the people were like me. I was deluded most of my, most of my young life because I thought because I was American, I was Christian. And that's not the way it works. That is never the way God intended it to work, by the way. God's intention was for us all to um, consider what we were doing and not just say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. God is inviting us, all of us, to get to know what it means to follow him, to get to know him. Our scripture lesson for today, for those of you who are guests or visitors with us, we um, have um, started a journey through the Gospel of John. We're going to be taking two years to go through the Gospel of John. And we've got these uh, Scripture journals. If you've not picked one up, there's lots of them on the back table. Those are our gifts to you. You don't have to do anything. You just pick it up because we love you. You'll find the Gospel of John in those uh, Scripture journals, as well as some, some um, blank pages for you to take notes in. Um, so you don't have to use just the scripture journals, but that's what we're encouraging people to do. Today, I want to look. At, I want to have you join me in looking at the, the Gospel of John, chapter one, starting at verse thirty-eight. And as you do that, I'm going to explain to you how Jesus has invited us to get to know Him. All throughout this passage, Jesus is inviting anyone who might consider following Him or becoming Christian to get to know Him. And our passage today is all about getting to know Jesus. Uh, let me give you just a little bit of uh, context as we get ready to start. If you were with us last week, you'll know that um, Jesus has been proclaimed as the Lamb of God by John the Baptist. Remember that? He, is the, he has been proclaimed Messiah by John the Baptist. And two of John the Baptist's disciples, upon hearing this testimony from from their rabbi, John, leave him and decide they're going to follow Jesus. One of them is named Andrew, 
The other one, we don't know what his name is, but many scholars presume that it was actually John, the author of the Gospel of John, not John the Baptist, but the John, the beloved, who was the other disciple. So it's with that context that we come to our passage for today. I want you to read with me verse 38. Jesus turned and he saw them. He sees Andrew and the other disciple, who we presume is John. Jesus turns and he sees them following him and he says... What are you seeking? Or what are you doing? Why are you following me? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he says to them, come and you will see. Now I want to stop right there for just a second because there's a lot in that just one or two verses right there that you need to ponder to fully appreciate all that's going on in this passage. The first thing I want you to ponder or consider is Jesus turns, right? He turns to these two guys that are following him and he basically asks them, why? Why are you following me? What do you want, right? Why would you? First of all, first thing you need to remember is Jesus is God, right? We learned that in the first part of, the, of John chapter 1. Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God, that means he is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. So why would an all-knowing God ask these guys, why? Why are you following me? It's kind of an odd question, isn't it? Knowing that he knows everything? Well, let me tell you why. He asks Andrew and the other disciple, who we think is John, why are you following me? Because he wants them to know why they are following him. You see, there's lots of reasons why people might follow Jesus. Some of them are good and some of them aren't good. Why are you following Jesus? Have you ever stopped to consider that? Um, I wonder was, I wonder if Jesus was trying to get these two disciples to consider, are you following me because you want me to save you from your sins? Or are you following me because you, because this was the, the popular kind of notion of the day of who the Messiah would be? Are you following me because you think I'm a, mil- a military or political leader that will free you from Roman oppression? Motivation matters, folks. Asking yourself the question, why do I follow Jesus could be the determining factor of whether or not your faith in Christ is strong or weak. Because, as I mentioned, there are lots of reasons why people... If you're following Jesus, for example, because you think being a Christian will lead to your life being a bed of roses, you will be disappointed. Right? But I can't... You know, we can, we can scoff at that today, but I'm telling you right now, I know people that have walked away from their faith because they were convinced that following Jesus meant that they would be protected from all the bad things of life. If that's what's motivating you, listen to me. You're going to be disappointed. And you might as well stop following now. Because that's not why he, what He promises you. So why are you following Jesus? Or why are you considering following Jesus? Because if, you're, if your motivations are correct, or if they're pure, if they're biblical, you'll never be disappointed. You can have someone that you love die and be filled with hope. Because you follow Jesus. You see what I'm saying? 
You will never be disappointed if the reason why you are following Jesus is because you love Jesus. All right. Let's go on to the next part. Um, so Andrew, he's one of the disciples, one of John the Baptist's disciples, goes, he spends some time with Jesus. After Jesus had come and see, he spends some time and he's convinced that the testimony that he hears from, from uh, John the Baptist is correct. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. So what does somebody who becomes fully convinced that Jesus is truly the Lamb of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, someone who, who gets to know Jesus and falls in love with him, what does that person generally do? They go to the, pe- the other people that they love and they say, I've found Jesus, and you need to find him too, right? So that's exactly what Andrew does. He goes to his brother, Simon, and he says, I've, Simon, dude, I've, you know, we've been looking for the Messiah all this time, all of our lives, and we, we, I found him. Come and see. So Simon goes to Jesus, and he meets him for himself. And Jesus turns around and he sees Simon there. This is verse 42, right? He says, he sees Simon standing there and he says, you never met him before, right? He never, he's never met him before and he looks at him and says, you're Simon, son of John. But from now on, no longer shall you be called Simon, but you shall be called Cephas or Peter, which means the rock. You know what he was doing that whole time? It was like he was leaving, like he saw, he saw Simon coming in and he was leaving little breadcrumbs. He was, he was trying to say, dude, I know you. I knew you before you were you. I know who you are today and I know who you're going to be in the future. And each, with each little breadcrumb of truth, he was inviting Simon to come and know him. I know you, Simon. I want you to know me. God has been doing that to you all throughout your life. Did you know that? He's been placing little breadcrumbs all throughout your life uh, that were intended for, to draw you to him, to cause you to, to consider what it means to be a follower of his. Now, I don't know whether you've been picking them up or not, but, but he's been doing it. I want you to think for just a moment, what are the breadcrumbs that you can think of that God has laid in front of you throughout your life that is inviting, has been inviting you to get to know him? Who are the people? What are the circumstances? Because it's been happening. And if you don't think, if you haven't been thinking about it, if you can't identify it, you need to spend some time because he's doing it. He's doing it right now, as a matter of fact. This may be one of those breadcrumbs for you. Are you starting to sense a theme? Throughout this whole passage, the whole thing is about come, see, know. Not just know about, but know Jesus. The last one I want to point your attention to 
Um, Philip, I love Philip. Philip is the one. Uh, G- Philip didn't have anybody else give, give testimony to him about Jesus. Jesus gave him testimony. I kind of relate to him because I didn't grow up going to church, as I said before, and so I didn't know anything about Jesus. I just I kind of fell in love with him playing high school football, which is the weirdest story of all. But so Jesus called me. Kind of, there was no church. It was just Jesus. Anyway, Jesus calls Philip. And um, Philip gets to know Jesus. And he goes, yep, he's the man. He's the Messiah. He's the one that people have been writing about for centuries. So he goes and finds a friend of his, just like we talked about earlier. That's what people do who find, who get to know Jesus. They go to share Jesus with others and hope that they'll come too. So he goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel. Now, if I were to give you a character sketch of, your, of his friend Nathaniel, Nathaniel was one of these guys who's very cautious. He, um, he's not um, one who will give himself over easily to believing anything. But once he's in, he's all the way in. All right? If you know the story of Nathaniel, you know what I'm talking about. Once he was in, he was in. Anyway, Philip goes to Nathaniel. And he says, dude, we found him. We found the, the, the Messiah, the Christ. And he goes, oh yeah? And Nathaniel says, yeah, who's that? And he says, his name's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And he just kind of scoffs. <laughs> Verse 46, right? Verse 46, he says, can anything good, has anything good ever come from Nazareth? Now we can, we can laugh about all that and Consider, but what I really want you to do is not so much his response, but I want you to pay attention to Philip's response. Notice that Philip doesn't say, doesn't call out his, his prejudice against Nazarenes, which he apparently was. I don't know why, but was he, anyway, it doesn't matter. He doesn't call that out. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, do an exegetical Bible study with him to show biblically where, where it could be proven that, that the Messiah could come from Nazareth or a place like Nazareth. He doesn't do that. Look at what he does. He says, come and see. He says, scoff all you want. Doubt all you want. I understand. That's wise. Come and see for yourself. Come and get to know him for yourself and then you decide. You see, the whole passage is about that. See for yourself. Come and know. Not, don't just know about, don't just listen to the word of somebody else about who he says he, or they say he is. Get to know him for yourself. That's what Jesus has been doing for 2,000 years ago. And if you have just taking somebody else's word for who Jesus is, you need to stop it and figure it out for yourself. Get to know him yourself. When I, uh, I was in college, when I, I was married, we were married, we were expecting our first child when I, when I first began to sense my call to ministry, and I was scared when I started to realize that that might be what God would want for me. I was scared for lots of reasons. I was scared uh, because uh, I had promised Lisa a life of leisure and, and 
jewels and... You don't remember that? Oh, thank the Lord. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, she she didn't sign up for this. Um, so I worried about that some. I, um, I, she was pregnant with our first child, Elizabeth, and I worried about her um, and all of her potential siblings that might come after that because um, I had grown up with some pastor's kids. You know what I mean? Have you guys ever met a pastor's kid? I was, there's no, there's no other subset of human beings that spend more time in church or church-related activities than pastor's kids. Did you know that? Because every time the church opens, they are there. Uh, every time there's a Sunday school class, they have to go. Every time there's a youth group, they have to go. They have to go to camp. They go, so they're just, they're just like inundated with all this church stuff, Right? Now you might say, well, that's a good thing, right? And it is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. It's a good thing. But it's also a very dangerous thing. And I'll tell you why. I have met lots and lots of people over the years who knew all about Jesus and didn't know Jesus. They went to Sunday school every day. Youth group, church camp, every worship service whenever the church was open. They knew all about Jesus. But they didn't know Jesus. Because they had bought into this the lie, the trap, that knowing about Jesus is synonymous with knowing Him. And it's not. Now, Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that it's wrong to raise your kids up in the church. That is not what I'm saying at all. It is a beautiful thing. It is to have a heritage. To give your children or your grandchildren the heritage of, of being raised in a community of faith is a blessing. It truly is. But don't fall into the trap of believing that knowing about Jesus is the same thing as knowing Jesus because it's not. Um, a couple of weeks ago, my kids were here leading worship, and I think if I were to tell you, um, if if they were to, if you were to ask them, they would tell you that Jesus is the love of their life. They survived being pastors' kids. And it wasn't because their parents were awesome either. Well, their mom is, but... No, the truth of the matter is, half the time we were hypocritical messes in front of them. You know why? Because we're human. But there was one thing that we did right. We told them over and over and over and over again that knowing about Jesus isn't good enough. You must know Him. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You've heard that old saying, right? You must know Him yourself. 
He must be your Lord. So, do you know Jesus? You know, you could, you might be sitting back and feeling a little nervous right now, thinking, well, if reading your Bible isn't how you get to know Jesus, or coming to worship isn't how you get to know Jesus, how do you get to know Jesus? All that stuff is good, by the way. So please, don't leave church thinking that Craig said, don't read your Bible, don't go to Sunday school, or whatever. Just listen to me. The way to know Jesus is you must confess you are a sinner, first of all, right? To yourself and to God, you are a sinner, and so am I. We all are. Number two, you must repent of your sin. You must turn from your sin towards the cross where grace and forgiveness has already been bought. It's just waiting for you to receive. And number three, you must confess Him as Lord. If you've never made those choices, if you've never prayed that prayer, you don't know Jesus. That's a bold statement to make for people I don't even know. But it's the truth. If you've never done that, you do not know Jesus. He knows you. And He wants you to know Him too. And that's how it starts. That's how relationship with Jesus not just knowing about Him, but knowing Jesus begins. If you'd like help praying that prayer, right over there is our prayer room. Um, we pastors would be privileged to pray that prayer with you. You don't need us to pray that prayer. You can pray it just you and the Lord. But if you'd like some help praying that prayer, it'd be our privilege to do that. If there's something else going on in your life that you'd like prayer for, we'll meet you right over there.